Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we talk about Mormon polygamy on our show. Today we have a special guest who is returning. Uh, he was born and raised in the Kingston Polygamy Group. His story is very interesting. We're going to finish that story today. But first, uh, for information about a Shield and Refuge and how we can help you or someone you know get out of polygamy and have a safe place to go, you can go to the website shieldandrefuge.org or you can call toll-free 877-425-9993. All information that you discuss will be held in complete confidence. And if you have questions or comments about our show, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, you can send an email to email at whatloveisthis.tv, or you can call 385-240-2888. We're always looking for interesting stories to tell about polygamy. Our returning guest today is Charles Mattingly. He has a unique story which we hope that you will enjoy and shed new light on the early days of the Kingston Polygamy Group. He wrote a book about the story of his parents and their experiences being married in the LDS religion, then being seduced into the Mormon fundamentalist group and the mysterious death of his father. So I'd like to get started now on part two of our interview and introduce and welcome back our guest Charles E. Mattingly. Hello. Thank, thank you. you for coming back to finish this, the story that we started and to talk more about your book, Murder at the Mine. Um, now, the, the, we're, we'll, we're going to discuss why you think your father was murdered <clears throat> in your book. We talk more about our, your background in the group and what it was like growing up in the group, and this time we're going to get more zeroed in on that. But first of all, you wrote the book, Murder at the Mine. Where can our viewers purchase a copy of this book? Okay, I have a website. It's called scenichikingphotos.com. It can be purchased on that directly from me. Or there's three bookstores here in town that are carrying it. Uh, the Golden Braid. Let me get the glasses on. I can... <laughs> The Golden Braid Books on 151 South, 500 East. Uh, Ken Sanders Rare Books. I don't remember. That's at 268 South, 200 East. And Eborn. Eborn Books at 254 South Main. Correct. In Salt Lake. So your book can be purchased at any of those. All three of those stores books. have copies of my book. And in mm -hmm. Okay, great. And and I would highly recommend people who are interested in uh, in the Kingston Polygamy Group certainly should read that because it has very interesting information about the beginning of, of the group. Um, we talked about the feedback and the comments that you have received from writing the book, but no threats, no death threats or, or anything I, like I've that. I've got no death threats from me. Uh, I've been told that if I did too much inflammatory that they would sue me, that they're... Uh, real big and suing people nowadays, mm. uh, but I had my lawyer look it over and everything in there, he says that they can't touch on that. Okay, good. So we'll try and keep within those guidelines uh, in our interview today. <laughs> and I also need to mention to our viewers that the Kingston Polygamy Group also has a nickname called the Co-op, which we refer to quite frequently, and or the Order. It's referred to as the Order because it's a United Order organization. Um, so that would help understand the words we use. 
And sometimes you'll hear it called the Davis County Cooperative. The da and that's its legal name, the Davis County Cooperative Society. Is that what it is Society. now? That's what it was back then. That's I thought it, it changed slightly. Well, I don't know if they've changed that part of it, but they have added the Latter-day Church of Christ, I think, is, right. is what they call the religious part of it now. Now, they claim that the United Order is a one-for-all and an all-for-one organization where everybody is treated equally and the needs of everyone are equally met. Is that true? Did that work out with your family that way? No, that's not true. Uh, <clears throat> depending on how high up the hierarchy, the hierarchy that you was, whether you was given special favors or not, but way down, like I was often told the Mattingly boys was only supposed to be slave laborers, and we wasn't looked at as anything else, and we yeah. rarely got anywhere. And they used that, that name thing big. The Hansons did not have a very good name in the co-op either. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so that didn't work out well with your family as far as the equality in the United Order goes. Now, let's go back to your mother's parents. They were LDS, and they came to Salt Lake City, according to what you've written in your book, about 1906. And your mother's name was Jenny, and she had a twin, which I didn't know until I read your book, that she had a twin named Agnes. No, Mae. Um, Agnes was a sister, but Mae was her twin. Oh, Agnes wasn't the twin. No, Agnes was oh. her sister, but not the twin. Okay, see, I got even got confused with that. Okay, but Jenny, your mother, met your father, Charles, and she didn't like him, but her mother she, liked him. No, she didn't like him, and uh, her, her mother liked her and kept saying that she'd see more of him and tried to force him on her. Mm -hmm. And then when her mother died, then her mom didn't take it too well. And so she says, well, I'm going to have to go with Charles because I have to prove mom that, to mom that I loved her. So she sent Charles a letter and some pictures, and then they started dating from that. And from that, then they got married. But, and, it was, but, but Agnes, her sister, married the man Stan Pratt, right? Correct. Okay, and, and that kind of gets convoluted as we go on. It, if you're reading my book in there, I made one mistake, I've been told, that my grandmother's name was Agnes, and my aunt's name was Agnes, and people kept getting them confused mm -hmm. when they was reading it. And I would try to say Aunt Agnes or something, but it was, I've been told it's still a little bit confusing. Okay, maybe that's where I got confused, but anyway, I get confused easily. So, anyway, I want to quote from page 25 uh, about the time that Stan Pratt, so it would be your, he would be your mother's brother-in-law, right? Stan Pratt came to your mother... And you weren't born yet, of course. And he talked with her about the group, the Kingston Polygamy Group. I want to quote where he said to her what you wrote. He said there were some people living in Bountiful, Utah, who were trying to live the laws of the Lord. They were living consecration, the united order, and the fullness of the gospel, giving the impression that other churches or groups of people were not. Now, a side note her, here before we get going, if, if they talk about the laws of God uh, that they say they were living, they are not laws of God according to what the Bible teaches the laws of God are. So let's get that cleared up at the beginning. Now, your mother was mildly interested in this that Stan said, this group of people living the laws of consecration and so on. And so she went to one of the meetings with Stan Pratt. What happened? Well, she wrote in her journal, that's where I got a lot of this information from. She went to the meeting and it was in a tent and they had laundry stuff hanging on the side of the tent and everything. And she went in and there had benches all over and the only ones that was open was the front row, which is when I was a kid going to Sunday school, it seemed like the front row was always empty, the back ones were always taken. <laughs> and she sat there and listened for a couple hours. And then they was invited to uh, stay for dinner. But through the talking and everything in the church, the mom got an impression that they was really struggling and had no money because it was right after the depression. 
and so they didn't dare she didn't dare stay and take uh, part of their dinner afterwards figuring it would be too much of a burden on them so she didn't do it she, they just went home but uh, they taught her about this new polygamy group they were going to start right I don't know if they talked too much about it at first yeah but they told her whatever they did you wrote in the book that they told her not to tell anybody what they had told her right she was she was told everything was secret she couldn't even tell my father everything was still just between her and Stan and, uh, and the co-op people Eldon and I think Eldon was the leader so at the Eldon can and, and right excuse me yeah, yeah, names but yeah <laughs> <laughs> so your mother was drawn to them she she at first she was a little bit but then well, she, she was, was drawn to them and became a believer well she was uh, real skeptical because she was a staunch Mormon at the time LDS she asked Stan for some some writings or proof or anything about the group and if she could borrow it she'd give him collateral until she returned it so he gave her a book to borrow and uh, it was written by C.W. Kingston it's in the rare book list now and uh, the three universities here in Utah have a copy of it and mm -hmm. as far as I know that unless the co-op's got a copy that's the only three left in existence Wow and she read the book and after reading the book she was convinced that the co-op was right because in the book he wrote that uh, justifying why a plural marriage was right and how the Mormon church was wrong by doing away with it. In fact, it was when he was writing this book he got excommunicated from the Mormon church and I referenced that in my book a mm -hmm. little bit. Well, I went up to the University of Utah and went into their rare book sections to see this book and I looked at it and it didn't impress me at all. Uh, I only read a couple <laughs> of chapters of it and I couldn't see that it was really, I even read the one on polygamy, but I couldn't see where it was justified or I couldn't see that it was commanded and, and I couldn't mm -hmm. even see that I believed the CW wrote the book. I think he copied somebody else's stuff. Huh, I don't know for sure. It just gave me that impression. This is not what I'd expect from a book that he had written. It's interesting how many Mormon men or in the early Mormon church and also in, in polygamy groups now who have to write to justify polygamy. They make their, their main focus um, of why polygamy is the right thing to do. And yet, when you read in the Bible, it's the wrong thing to do. And, and they claim God told them to do it. That doesn't make any sense. So your mother became, eventually, she became a believer in what the Kingstons were teaching. Uh, but she couldn't tell her husband, and she wanted to. She wanted to join. She wanted her husband to join with her. So she finally asked, didn't she ask Eldon Kingston to come and talk to? She asked Stan to arrange a meeting with my dad and Eldon. And... Uh... I think before the meeting, she was in the hospital giving birth to a child, and she was having severe difficulties. It was coming breach, and the doctor was having all kinds of problems. And so Mom asked if she could go talk to, have Charles come in and talk to her, my dad. And they said, no, rules against it in the hospital. Uh, so he got a she got a message to him to call Agnes and tell Agnes to call uh, or tell and pray for her. And supposedly mm -hmm. there afterwards the baby went, was born and the birth went real easy and everybody was surprised. And, and that was one of the big turning points. So that made her a believer. And then, and then uh, Dad started asking her, who is this uh, Kingston? Mm. And so that's when she asked Stan to arrange a meeting with him. And it was right after that that uh, he had been brainwashed enough to... And so they both joined then together joined and the all day. those secrets that she kept now he was able to know about right. as well. They applied for membership in 1941 and in 1942 they was voted in. Okay. Your mother believed 
hook, line, and sinker. Um, and of course your dad did too at first. And on page 32 you wrote this, and I quote, It is hard to visualize the extent of the brainwashing done to the members of the co-op. This starts with the first day after the individual meets the leaders of the co-op. With every child born into the co-op, the brainwashing starts as soon as they learn to talk and start thinking. Now, this remains true today. I agree with what you said, and it remains true even until today. Yet, members of the polygamy group would never recognize that they're brainwashed until you get out. You, it, did, it, you didn't know you were until after you left. You don't know it until you're, you've left and you're out. Uh, I didn't uh, know it for years after I left that I had been brainwashed in it. I, I talked about it in one of the last 20 years I was working in Tucson. I talked to friends about it. And I say, you guys do not understand the extent of brainwashing until you've been around it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to explain. It is. It is very difficult. To, and you can't really until you've experienced it. It's really difficult. And, and you can't get out of it. You, you've got to get away from it before you can even begin to know. Now, the co-op, Old Nicole Mine in Huntington, Utah, which we talked in our in part one of, of our interview, but it was a very lucrative operation. It made millions and millions of dollars uh, for the polygamy group. But the people who lived and worked there, at the, they called it the camp, and they worked at this, the, this coal mine. They lived in, in absolute filth and poverty. Uh, if they worked down there. Your parents ended up living down at the coal mine. Uh, and your, but your father was drafted in the army, I'm just going through this very quickly, in 45, and he came home in 46. And while he was away, your mother came to the conclusion that Eldon Kingston, who was the leader of the group, was the greatest man since Jesus Christ. Yes, she, she wrote in her journal, and I quoted that a little bit, that his purpose on life was just to enhance Jesus' life, to bring, to bring it forward better, like he was equal to or the next one. That his purpose in life was to enhance what Jesus did when he was here. Right. Oh my, that's, that's blasphemy. That's, she, I can throw it in here one time, she, she talked one time after Dad had been killed about how she hoped that she could see Eldon when she got in heaven because she sure loved him and wanted to be by him. And she wanted to see him more than she wanted to see right. Jesus. You know what? They say the same thing. The LDS say the same thing about Joseph Smith. In fact, Joseph Smith himself said that he did greater things than Jesus did. So it's very destructive uh, and a horrendous gospel. Okay, let's talk about your father. He came home from the war in January, and they ended up moving back down to the coal mine in Huntington right. and living there to serve the Kingston kingdom there. However... A serious accident at the mine occurred, and actually there was there was some serious injury, and someone died yes, as was, a result. There were several so, uh, injuries. One person died. One person, uh, they was riding the skip track up the mountain, which was totally against rules, regulations, safety, everything. They wasn't supposed to. And Dad was running the controls at the top. It was, uh, I think at the time, it was an electric motor pulling the, the skip track up uh, like railroad tracks, almost straight up the mountain and a big cable pulling it. They, they'd load their equipment on it and pull it up. At the time, the, the men were riding it. Uh, I don't know if they was riding it up or down. I think they was riding it down. But the cable broke, and one guy jumped off, and he was unhurt. One guy jumped off and got his arm ripped off or damaged so much they had to amputate it. One guy uh, jumped off, got his leg hurt really, really bad, and the doctors didn't expect him to live. And then one guy rode it clear to the bottom and hit and was killed. Mm-hmm. And they, and after all of the the pandemonium that took place on all that, 
your there were some rumors going around that it was your dad's fault. Do you think yes. that's why he lost faith well, the in guy the group? The guy that hurt his leg really bad, and I'm probably going to give his name away here, but well, I won't. Well, yeah, don't. He got, <laughs> hurt his leg real bad. He had been said that he would get even with dad. Wow. And it turned out he was the one that uh, killed him, but it was... The story splits there whether he was directed to do it or he did it out of vengeance. I'm mm. not sure there. And I put out in my book that it was one or the other. So do you think that's why your dad decided he was going to get out, that he had had enough of the Kingston group? He didn't want it in it anymore? I'm not sure what he decided, why he decided it, but he had left, had left the mine and gone up and talked to his uh, mom's sister. And they'd had a conversation and everything. And then he came back, and this is from my sister uh, story. Mm-hmm. He came back and said that he was going to divorce mom and take the kids with him, figuring that she would leave and go with him instead of staying there, because that's how bad he wanted out. Yeah. And my sister's story went that she, my mother went to uh, C.W. Kingston and says, Charles is going to divorce me and leave and take the kids. I don't want that to happen. I want to stay with the co-op. Can you talk him out of it? And he says, don't worry about it. It'll be taken care of. He won't leave. Okay, so a few days after that, a few days after he it said... Was shortly after that. I don't want to that, say days, but within shortly, that, very shortly after that. That your father was dead. Yes. That your father was dead. Okay, so um, investigations took place trying to get the bottom of his death. Um, explain how he died and why there was some suspicion that he was murdered. Well, all the time I was growing up, I was told that Dad drank a little bit of whiskey after work. He'd come down and drink a shot of whiskey after work, and he had it up in the cupboard, and uh, which is totally true, uh, false, because he never would have whiskey, and he was too much of a devout Mormon. I found that out. Hmm. But uh, supposedly he reached up in the cupboard and got the whiskey and drank a, a shot of it, and it wasn't whiskey. It was Blackleaf 40, deadly poison. And that's the story we was told. But the truth I found out was... The whiskey was in this other fellow's house, the one that got his leg hurt bad, and he had had his second wife change the whiskey out and put blackleaf poison in it by his instructions and wrote a real fine label on the top with pencil that you couldn't hardly read. And keep in mind, this was back in the 40s. Mm-hmm. The lighting was terrible, especially in the mining camp. Yeah. And he had it in the cupboard of his house. And he was going to Salt Lake, and I don't know, part of the plan or part of the story, so he'd have an alibi or what. He was going to Salt Lake, and he needed somebody to take care of his cows and milk them and everything. So he come up and asked Dad to milk the cows for him. And Dad says, I don't think I can. I've got the flu, and I've been really sick and congested. I can't do it. He kept talking, well, you can. He says, you have to. I, I have to leave, and somebody has to take care of him. He says, I've got some whiskey in my cupboard. If you take a shot of that, it will clear the phlegm and break up the cold, and you'll be okay. And he, Dad says, well, I can't do that because I'm not a drinker. I, it's against my religion. And he says, well, you'll be taking it like medicinal purposes, and it won't be like drinking, so it'll be okay. Just put a few drops in a glass of water and drink it down fast. And so that's what Dad did, and he died within 15 minutes Mm because it was strictly poison. I researched it on the Internet and found out that uh, they say if you get one drop of this Blackleaf 40, which is a nicotine poison in your stomach, you have less than five minutes to get it totally pumped out or you won't survive at all. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. had to know that. Well, the label also was was pretty warning. Um, even to the end, and, and your mother, she didn't want to think of any suspicious activity, of course, going on with the with the leadership. 
Even to the end, she was subservient, however, to the king's leadership. And you wrote on page 76, Jenny was more concerned, and Jenny's your mother, was more concerned with the feelings of the leaders of the co-op than she was angry that her husband had just been killed. And it looked like the Kingstons had a lot to do with it. She went out of her way to keep any investigation of the death of my dad from happening. Did she hide evidence? What did she do to keep the investigation from taking place? I don't know too much about it from what I've read from the family's letters and everything, but she went in and she took the, the glass that he drank out of, rinsed it out in the sink and then threw it in the creek and broke it. The stories first went out that she threw the whiskey bottle down, but she wrote in her ledger that the FBI, or the sheriff, whoever came to investigate, took the whiskey bottle with them. Hmm. And that they would, they would investigate it and gone through their house two or three times after the death. But as far as covering it up, she kept saying she had to sign papers telling them she wanted it investigated as a murder and giving them authority to do it. Hmm. But she refused to sign these papers. Wow. wow. Now, you wrote in your book that, that C.W. Kingston said uh, or seemed to be afraid that your father's death could bring a lot of trouble to the co-op. If it was accidental... Why? How could it bring trouble to him if it was an accident? That's what I kept thinking. Why, why would there be any trouble? But his comments, Mom went, and she wrote in her ledger that she was thinking one time, trying to figure out what had happened, and it came to her that the, the lighting was very poor and the, the warning on the bottle was written in pencil and hard to read. And she went up and told C.W. that, woke him up and told him that. And in her ledger, she said he snapped his fingers in the air and said, by golly, that's what I can tell him. That's my cover from now on. Huh. Wow. I don't know if he used the word cover. That's my story from now on. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, I learned after I published the book, and I wish I'd have known, if I'd have waited to publish it, I learned that uh, she kept it covered up by, because of high pressure from the Kingston leaders. Told her, do not let them investigate it. Mm -hmm. Do not let them. Well, they don't want any kind of investigating for anything at any time uh, whatsoever, then or now. They Because there's so much that they do that they that is illegal, they need to hide polygamy, you know, they need to hide the polygamy and and um, their finances they've always kept secret even from the members. So your so your mother was now a widow. You wrote on page sixty six and sixty seven what you thought happened, I quote. Mom believed everything was going to be all right. She did not believe he would be killed. I think she knew of part of the plan but not all the details. I believe that it was supposed to be a light dose and look like an accident. Also, I believe C.W. Kingston told Mom that Dad would only get sick and that C.W. would give him an antidote that would correct any bad effects. Dad would then think that C.W. Kingston was close to God and Dad would decide to stay with the co-op after what seemed like a miracle recovery. So it sounds like it that according to diaries and the different things that you've been reading that this would have been a setup that they would easily have been able to get out of and there would have been no permanent harm done. Right. This is, this is an opinion I have formed off of reading what everybody wrote, both my sisters, my mother, and I had aunts and uncles that send me letters and stuff. Uh, reading all of that, this is an opinion I formed myself. Mm -hmm. I, I have other than other than what my mind was thinking when I read these. I have nothing to back it up. Yeah, yeah. But, but Blackley 40, like you already mentioned, is so potent that there's no reliable antidote that you can get, quick, get to them quickly enough to, um, to, to 
stop its effects. They, they tell you what you're supposed to do, but then they go on and tell you that if it's not completely pumped out within five minutes, even one drop of it is sudden gone. death, it's sheer death. So it's, it's, and they had to know this. That's why I called it premeditated murder. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they would. They surely would have known that. Uh, so. Your mother was a faithful member, keeping secrets to the grave. To that, she do you would you say that she loved the Kingstons more than she loved her children? To a certain extent, I'd say yes. Now, some of her children she really loved. Uh, I think that Alice Marion uh, into the polygamy the way she did that that was a given mama ticket to heaven. She figured that was her salvation to heaven, and also with and Raymond, that's your sister, your that's sister, my older sister, and then my younger brother from Stan, uh, he married one of the Kingston clan, and she figured she had two children married into it now, and that was definitely going to make it life, life mm -hmm. easier for her afterwards. And it even got to the point in, in the Kingston group that if your children marry Kingstons, that gives you your ticket to heaven. That's what they kind of believe sometimes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the last I, like, I heard, it was Jesus who was the Redeemer and our Savior, not the Kingstons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like to quote one, and I tried to quote it in my book, and I couldn't remember it all. I don't remember it all now. It's about J. Golden Kimball, uh, a Mormon leader, whatever you want to term mm -hmm. you put on. He says that people are paying tithing so much and everything, saving money to the church, but they're not living a good life. They're thinking they're buying their way in heaven, they can't buy their way halfway across town with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I always to, thought that was kind of cute. <laughs> I, I would have to agree. Very quickly now, we've only got about a minute left. On page 144, you said, All the time I was growing up at home, I never remember hearing my mom talk of her love for dad. I do not even remember her ever holding me in her arms and saying she loved me. I do not have any of the memories of a child should have of their parents. I don't know if she ever told any of my sisters or brothers that she loved them or showed any loving affection one would expect to receive from a mother. And I can say, Charles, I felt the same thing in my family. My mother, I never remember anybody, my mother, my father, or the siblings telling me that they loved me. And I think that's the horror of, one of the horrors of being in the group. We have a few seconds. Would you like no, to say something about that? I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's sad that they love the group more than they love the family, uh, and even more than they love God. They love the religious teachings the most. Yes. And the people. They have no respect for family life. Yeah, they don't. And I don't know if it's because they're polygamous and they can easily replace their children because they have so many children. I don't know what that thinking is, but it's very harmful. They'll probably have so many children. It's like a chicken farmer. He's got a million chickens in front of him sick. He doesn't know. <laughs> Could be. Thank you very much. The, Thank you. We, we're at the end of the second show. I appreciate you coming and sharing with us. You know, Jesus said that the greatest of all the commandments is that we love the Lord our God with all our hearts and minds and soul and strength. He never said, love your religion or love your church or love your religious leaders that much. He said, love God that much. But in Mormonism, it puts itself in the place that belongs only to God. Mormon fundamentalist groups like the Kingstons demand absolute loyalty and vows of silence to pre prove worthiness of membership. But they are frauds. They're actually spiritual vampires. They steal your soul and then they steal your eternity. We want to thank Charles Mattingly for having the courage to write his book and to come and tear, to share the tragedy of his parents in another story, tragedy of lives ruined and lost because of Joseph Smith's doctrine of polygamy. See you next time on Polygamy, What Love Is This? 
This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you.